0: While you're turning there, I want to I tell you something. I want you to mark your calendars for August 7th. And uh, somebody say, what's so important about August 7th? Well, if you're a history buff, who knows what happened on August 7th many, many, many years ago? Anybody know? We dropped the first atomic bomb on Hiroshima. See? So mark that on your calendar. Pray for the folks at Hiroshima. All right, if you have your... knowledge, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's going to be our designated Kids Sunday this, this, this month, and uh, really for next month. And we're going to move it back a week, and we're going to put it uh, on August 7th. Normally, we have our kids, all of our kids come in uh, the last Sunday of the month. We're going to move it back one week because that Sunday is going to be dedicated to our kids. And I'm going to show you a new ministry we're going to launch out of our church. It's absolutely going to be a, one of the greatest outreach ministries we've ever probably done. And uh, it's something that I want you to see firsthand here. It's already in progress and it's already working. I've just not said anything about it. Uh, but I wanted to get a chance to get it down and get it running. Uh, but uh, that day, I'm gonna, we're going to get introduced to it. Uh, when, I, when we come back then the following week, I'm going to talk to you about how we're going to implement this into our church. And if you want a ministry where you can uh, get involved with kids and then have an outreach to their parents... I got something you're going to really be excited about. And uh, it's going to require some of you to be part of this team, to go out, and uh, it's going to be a fun time. So you come August 7th, and uh, I'll be talking about it, but uh, bring your kids. And we're going to kind of change the dynamics here a little bit and put all the kids up on the floor here and, and just let them be right down front because it's going to be their day going to be really an exciting time for them, but it's going to be something that you adults can get into that will talk about it, and it will be very exciting. So put that on your calendar. Now today, we are about to study a section of the book of First Corinthians, and that's what we've been coming through. We have been coming through the Bible, dealing with every book of the Bible, how Christ is portrayed in each book. And uh, it's been an invaluable l- lesson for me. I've learned so much from it, from just putting it all together. And it's really helped you guys, uh, you know, begin to get a handle on your Bible. Now we're doing the Bible basics, which even helps you more, get it more into, into concept. And it's really going to be a, a good thing for us that you learn the Bible. We've had so many new people come into our church in the last year, and they're still coming in that we want to have a time when everybody gets up to speed when it comes to the Bible because that is the most important thing in our church. And having you understand it is key. And I'll do whatever I got to do, however long it takes, whatever it takes, to help you attain that if that's what you want in your life. And it can be done. If God can teach this idiot the Word of God, He can certainly teach you, no question about it. But now, Church at Corinth is completely messed up on the subject we're going to talk about today. And yet, uh, every church... And every Christian today that I know is messed up on this subject today. And I've never seen, uh, and I know that there's a lot of subjects. It seems redundant. Week after week when I teach something, I always say, you know, that nobody, it just shows you how messed up Christianity is today. We're going to talk about the issue of spiritual gifts today. We're going to define that. We're going to have you, by the end of our, our next three or four weeks, you're completely going to understand that. This will be an excellent opportunity. Uh, for you to get the Bible understanding of this subject. We're not, we don't worry about what this guy says or what that guy said or whose seminar or whose book said. You know, uh, we just take what the Bible says, and that's where we're at. You know, uh, and that's, that's all the farther we go. And uh, so that's where we're at. It was a while back where uh, a great pastor in this country by the name of Rick Warren uh, wrote a book on the purpose-driven life. Outsold the Bible. And uh, a guy asked me one time, uh, when at, after it came out, if I had ever read, ever wrote the, uh, read the book, The Purpose Driven Life, to which I said yes, many, many times. And he said, well, I only, I only read it through it once. And he said, how many times have you been through it? And I said, well, I've been through it since I got saved for the last 35, 40 years. He said, well, the book wasn't written back then. And I said, we must not be talking about the same book. The book I'm talking about is this book. There will be no book that man writes that will be better than the book that God wrote on a purpose-driven life. And that's where we're at today, because this book is everything that you need. And the idea that a book that man wrote to teach you how to have a purpose-driven life would outsell the book that God wrote shows you where Bible Christianity is at. Now, I say that not to make you mad, though I'm not against that. I say that because I want you to know where we're coming from today. Because we're coming from the Bible. We're not interested in popular opinion. We're not interested in the, what the, the big preaching guys across this country believe or what they teach. We believe the Bible. And we believe when they teach, contrary to the Word of God, they're just as screwed up as anybody else on planet Earth. This book is our final authority, the Word of God. That's what we stand on. And we don't make any apology for it. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, we're not interested in what man thinks. We're not interested in what other churches teach. We're going to go back to the Bible, and this will be an absolute excellent opportunity for you to get the Bible's defining of it, as is found in 1 Corinthians twelve, thirteen, and 14. And you're going to see in this three chapters, just like we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, how the Bible defined marriage, uh, divorce, and remarriage. Now, the first thing I want you to know about this is the fact that these three chapters, chapter 12, 13, and 14, they go together as a complete set. You need to understand that. These three chapters, like 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, where 1 Corinthians chapter 7 define the concept of marriage from the Bible. Remember how we changed that all out? Well, I'm telling you now that that, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 define for us Spiritual gifts, completely. And you will learn from this how important that is. Now let me say something to you, for those of you who are beginning to learn your Bible. I say this all the time, the importance of of learning uh, definitive passages. The importance of getting passages marked in your Bible that define things. Because you're going to find that once God gives you a definitive Passage on something that defines the subject. you got to know that and mark that because wherever you go out through the rest of the Bible, when you find something, it's always going to go back to that definitive passage. In other words, once God defines something the way that He does, He never changes the definition. Now, this is what man does. This is what churches do. And this is what people do. We got, that's why when you come start with the Bible and you let the Bible be its own dictionary, the Bible define itself. Bible says the word of God is of no private interpretation, and that's true because the Bible always interprets itself, and you're going to see that today. Now, the church at Corinth has completely lost their biblical perspective here on spiritual gifts, and they're completely in the dark on the subject. And in each of these three chapters, he deals with a different aspect of the gifts, and by doing so. Just like in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, even though that was just one chapter, we begin to see uh, how this thing lays itself out and how the Bible defines it. And we'll come away today with a, or not, maybe not today, but when we're finished with this section, we will come away today with a complete definition of how these things work. Now, as always, before you study any subject in the Bible, and this is also vitally important, you need to do some groundwork. You need to lay down a base or a foundation from which you're going to work from. And that's really what I want to do today. I want to just lay the foundation for where we're going. And I want to talk about spiritual gifts and show you how the Bible defines them, show you what they are, and then show you how you get them. And it will be radically different from what you hear today, I guarantee you. But let's start, first of all, let's start with a basic understanding of spiritual gifts. Let's take a very generic concept of spiritual gifts, and we'll start with that. Let's pray before we we do that. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you very much, and we thank you for all of the things that you do for us. We thank you for the Word of God that you've given us. And never let this church step outside the pages of this book. This book has to be central to everything that we do. And the day that it's not, we will become just like all the other churches out there that pretty much just make it up the way they want to go. Lord, we don't have the liberty to do that. We don't have the right to do that. You've given us a mandate, and that mandate is the Word of God. We stay within that just like a car has to stay within the lanes that he drives on the road. Otherwise, he has a head-on collision. Help us today to learn this and lay the foundation. These are good people. These people didn't come here today for other reason, and they want to learn your Word. And that puts tremendous responsibility on me, but it puts tremendous responsibility on you because you're the one who made all this happen. And you now, dear Lord, bring through your spirit and give these people what they need today. Use me as unworthy as I am. Use me as your vessel to give them through your word, your spirit, what we need to see. And we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it. Amen. Amen. Spiritual gifts. God saves you to do a job. Most of God's people don't even know that basic element. God saved you for a purpose. And I'm not talking about the ramifications of how God saved you or, you know, all the things in your life that led you to salvation, but I'm telling you this, God saved you for a purpose. If you think that God saved you so you could just continue on in a lifestyle you were already in, you're probably not even saved. You might be. But the point is that God saved you to do a job. And from that point on, your life should be about one thing. And that one thing is fulfilling that mission that God has saved you for. Now, I understand we get the idea that Christians don't have any fun. You hang out with us for a while, you'll find out what fun really is. You see, the problem is you've been spelling fun wrong. You've been spelling fun S-I-N and fun is spelled F-U-N. See, you don't even know what fun is. And, you, you know, you get the idea that when they become a Christian, you know, you, you can't do anything fun anymore. You can't laugh. You've got to walk around like you've been baptized in dill pickle juice. You know, you just, you just, you don't have any fun. You can't laugh. can't tell any jokes. You can't say anything funny. You can't, uh, you can't laugh in church. And, you know, it's a thing where that's not Bible Christianity. Bible Christianity brings with it a joy. Joy brings with it happiness, Laughter. Joy brings with it a completeness. You see, the word happiness is our favorite word. Everybody wants to be happy. But the word happy or happiness itself discloses what it's all about. Happy is based on happenings. That's where the word comes from. So when the happenings in your life are good, you're happy. When the happenings in your life are not good, you're not happy. But joy will carry you through all times in life. Because joy is not happiness. Happiness comes because of happening. Joy becomes because of what's deep down inside you that God gave you. And God saved us for a purpose. He saved us for a job that He wants us to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We talk about it all the time. You know the verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and what? All things become new. You know the verse. You've heard me say it many, many times. probably sick of me hearing it. Well, I'm going to say it one more time. When you get saved, things change. Or they're supposed to. When you get saved, you get a new perspective on your life. You don't look at your life the same way anymore. When you get saved, you get a new purpose for your life. God's now got something he wants you to do. When you get saved, you have a new passion in your life. We've all had passions in life. Many of them there's nothing wrong with. Some of you guys like to play golf. Some of you guys like to hunt. Some of you guys like to fish. Nothing wrong with that. But you never want your passion to get outside, for that to get outside your passion for the Lord. And that's all that is. It doesn't mean you can't do those things. It, just, it doesn't mean that now that you're a Christian, you'll get a robe and shave your head and head to the airport. It means that you have everything in balance because what you're really focused on now that you're saved is what God's called you to do. And you use those things. You use those things. Your goals in life change. Where before your job was your main source of income, your job was your career, you wanted to better yourself because the better you get, the more money you make and the more things you can have. That all changes now. Your job now is not just what you have to support your lifestyle. Your job now you recognize that God has a job for you to do so your job now, you recognize that God has given you to support yourself as God's missionary. Hey, and I want to tell you something. You may live in Kansas City. You may never leave Kansas City. You may live in Raytown, Redneck Raytown. That's where I live. Every other house got a shotgun in the back of a pickup truck in the, in the rain back there. I love Raytown. Been there all my life since I moved to Kansas City. I'm a Raytown Redneck. I like it. Bottom line is simply this. It doesn't matter. You may never live, leave Independence. You may never leave Raytown. You may never leave Kansas City. You may never go outside the state line all your life. But if you're saved this morning, you are a missionary. You're a missionary to where you work. You're a missionary to your neighborhood. You're a missionary to your family. And you learn the ministry and you learn missions. But you see, that term is for them today. We've got so many ideas that missionaries or guys that are out here that, uh, you know, that go to foreign lands that we just go to church and we like to give our money so somebody else can go do what God's called us to do and feel good about it. I'll tell you something else. Everybody, if you're saved here this morning, needs to be a preacher, male and female. You shouldn't have women preachers. No, you shouldn't have women pastors. But everybody ought to be a preacher. I guarantee you, I got some of the best women preachers you ever heard in your life. Put some of the men under the table. They, they they got a handle on it, but they're not pastoring a church. They'll never be deacons in this church. That's in the Bible. So when you when you when you realize that everything changes, your spouse now is now your co-labor in the work of Christ. She is what the Bible says, a help meet. And she helps meet your needs for as far as the ministry is concerned. Your family. Your family changes. Your your children. Now they become your first ministry along with your wife. And now they are the greatest guarantee that you ever have. Parents don't even see this. Your kids are the greatest guarantee that you have that your ministry and your job that God called you to do will continue on generation after generation after generation. The most beautiful thing in this world. The most beautiful thing in this world is seeing families with their children side-by-side ministering in churches. Where their kids are part of the discipleship, their kids are doing this, their kids are doing that, they bring up their grandkids, and in time, the grandkids are right in the whole ballpark. That is the greatest legacy that you can ever do and ever give back to God, because that's what you're supposed to do. How can you imagine reproducing yourself in other people's lives? if you can't even reproduce yourself in the ones that are closest to you. It all changes. Do you know why it changes? Because God has a job that he wants you to do. He's got something that he saved you to do. And he wants you to understand that everything about you changes. Together, you and your family form a ministry team. Now, after salvation... The moment you get saved, and you don't really understand this, and this is why we disciple you and work with you and and have all the things that we do so you can learn these things. You have left the physical world, and now you've headed into the spiritual world through a spiritual new birth. You've left the natural entered into the supernatural. And you've done this for one reason. God puts you in this for one reason, because He has a job. He has something that He wants you to do. And you have to focus on doing this work. That's what my job is. My job is to give you the tools to do it. That's all my job is. My job is, uh, my job is to, you see, people get mad at me because, and I say this all the time, they get mad at me because I say things they don't like. You know, you give me too much credit. I didn't write this book. You don't like me because, just like you don't like a cop when he pulls you over for going 85 and a 35. And your, your claim is I was only going 65. But it's still over the speed limit, you see. I didn't write this book. I just believed this book. And when God saved me, he gave me a job to do. You know what my job to do is? My job is to tell you the truth about what God said to you. And that's what I do. That's what God wants you to do. And that's how the whole system just kind of works as it goes through. And you put all this stuff together. Uh, God, uh, you, to do this work that God has to, you, wants you to do, God has to give you abilities. You see, your natural abilities aren't any good anymore. I mean, we get the idea that the more education you get, the closer it gets you to God. I got some news for you. And you ain't going to like this. The more education you get in most cases, the farther it gets you from God. You go off to Bible college someplace, they talk about angiology, humeroneutics. They talk about anthropology. They talk about uh, uh, pneumonology. They talk about all these great things. When's the last time you ever heard anybody in the Bible talk like that? Did Jesus ever use those terms? Did any of the 12 apostles ever talk that way? Did Paul talk that way to Timothy? Jesus said, except you come to me as a child, you have no part of me. Where do we get this idea that the bigger $55 words we use, it gets people to believe that that we're closer to God? You're not closer to God that way any more than you are when you get in an elevator and go to the top floor. God has to give you your abilities. God is not, does, God doesn't care if you have any abilities. You know what God really cares about? Do you have availability? Will you give yourself to God. That's what he's looking at. Oh, Moses was out there. He couldn't do a thing. God picked the guy that was the most goofy, stupidest guy. I like to see Moses, what he looked like when God first saw him. He's a, he can't talk. He's a scared. He's afraid. He's out there and God telling him all these great things. He's trembling in his boots. And he, he he didn't have. but you know what God says? Moses kept alibying, You know when they're meeting there at that. This is where the the meeting there on Mount Sinai and the bushes are burning. You know, and this is where you get the term beating around the bush. That's what Moses was doing. And he says the he says the he says to God. He says I I'm not. He says I'm not. I'm not able to do what you want me to do. And God tells him in no uncertain terms. I never asked you to be able, Moses. I just asked you to be willing. Because if you will be willing to do what God wants you to do in this job, God is able to give you what you need to do to do it. This is spiritual gifts, you see. This is spiritual gifts. This work that God wants you to do, it's a supernatural work. Natural abilities won't do. And it's a thing where you can be the most ornate speaker in the world. You can dot every period and put everything in the right context and you may, you may be a golden-tongued orator. But if you don't learn how to order this book and put it out, you ain't going to give them anything. You ain't going to give them anything. Well, when you got saved, God gave you the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that's the power of God. You don't know this when you just got saved. But if we had the right little buttons to push, the moment you got saved, you could step out and create your own universe if you wanted to. Because do you realize the moment you got saved, you got all the power that God has? You didn't get a little bit of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't dole it out to you as you get. He gives you everything He is. But at that time, you don't recognize how to use it. But you got it. You got it all. Somebody says, have you you prayed for the baptism of the Holy Ghost since you've been saved? No, no, not at all. I got everything God had when I got saved. When you got saved, you didn't get just a little bit of God. You got all of God. The problem is you don't recognize it in you yet, but you got it. There's a process that has to come into your life that helps you recognize. I always, I always, I always look at it that, you know, use this example. If you go home this afternoon, look up on your house where your power comes in. If you live in an older home, your power comes off a pole. If you live in a more modern home, built in the last 15, 20 years, your probably power utilities are underground. So you walk around your house and find your meter. And uh, it, it's, it's, you find out your power is coming in from the bottom, I mean, it's in the ground, or it's coming off a pole to your, your top and down that way. But even if your power is underground, if you walk out in your backyard, you see this green thing this green thing will be uh, somewhat of a, a dome shape. Or in some cases, they're a big square green thing about the size of your, my pulpit up here. This is called a transformer. If you would trace that power back to the transformer, back, back, and you could trace that down underground, it would go to a telephone pole. And off that telephone pole up there, you would find that there's a tube running down or a wire running over to your house. But your power is coming off that pole. Now, if you just took the power off that telephone pole and ran it straight into your house, it'd blow your house off the foundation. Did you ever hear a transformer go out on a pole? Man, I'm saying sound sounds like doomsday. If you took the power straight off that pole and you put it into your home, it would blow every circuit you got, fry every appliance you got, burn your house down, kill your dog, blow you up, and do everything in the world and just destroy your house. You know why? Because you can't handle that power coming straight off the pole. So you know what the power company does? They run that raw power into a transformer. That transformer steps down that power till it can go into your house and run everything fine. Now this is why when you get saved, God doesn't let you Experience the power of God as it comes when it came off that pole at Calvary. Didn't it ever bother you that every telephone pole you ever saw is in a sign of a cross? The power to come off that pole at Calvary, going straight into your life, would burn your eyebrows, blow out your ears, burn your hair, and you you would disintegrate in a thousand million pieces you know what God does? He puts a man inside you called Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus Christ is? He's the transformer. He takes the raw power of God coming in, holds it in him so it doesn't fry your eyeballs. And as you grow into the process of learning more about God every day through church, Bible study, discipleship, learning what you learn, ah, the Bible says it better than I could ever say it. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that you're transformed, aren't you, by the renewing of your mind. You see, the transformer in you is Jesus Christ. He takes the power of God that you have, and then he makes it workable. And it's through this power that comes through the transformer of Christ that you get into your life. When you build your relationship with Christ, God gives you the gifts, the power to do The job that he's called you to do. See how it works? Now, who couldn't understand that? Who can understand that? Somebody says, Bob, you're brilliant. No, Bob, you're stupid. Brilliance would be with words, terminology, going back to the Greek, that you wouldn't understand. You just have to accept it because you think I'm a godly man. That doesn't cover anything. I want you to leave here with it in your hand. I want it to leave here, not just in your head, in your heart. Now, that's the generic garden variety concept of spiritual gifts. God's got a job for you to do. He gives you the power to do it. But there's a process in learning how to do that. That's what we want to talk about. How do we determine your spiritual gifts? Well, in the Christianity that we live in today, a couple of ways to do it. One of the ways is to take the spiritual gift test. <laughs> Ryan was telling me last night at Pappy's that, you know there's a, you were talking about it's going to do spiritual gifts. You know there's a spiritual gift test online you can take? Tells you what your spiritual gifts are? Now, this is how stupid Christianity has become. And if you go to a church or have go to a church and ever have done this, don't tell anybody. <laughs> How absurd. Here's how it works. You, you fill out a answer, 200 questions, 150 questions. I don't know. You answer a number of questions about you. Favorite color is a big one today, you know. And you go down through those things, and then they use a key. And they grade the answer to your questions, and lo and behold, dazzle. <laughs> out comes your prominent spiritual gift, your secondary spiritual gift, and then you're told, then these gifts you don't have. Now, in their mind, that's, this is what they want you to do. Why should you worry all of your life about what your spiritual gifts are and waste time when you could find out what your spiritual main gifts are and then go to work on those? And that's, that's, that's what they do today. That's exactly what they do. I've seen pastors look at young men and go up and tell them, son, you have this gift. This is your gift. And you know, the guy says, Well, that's great. This is my gift. And so he goes off down light because somebody told him that. So we find all kinds of gifts. We get the gift of soul winning. A soul winning is not a gift. I mean, I don't know how to tell you that. I had a guy all excited one time, he says, Oh, I just took that test. What's your gift? I got the gift of soul winning. Soul winning's not a gift. You got robbed. The gift of tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of giving. Most Baptist church love that one. That's the one nobody wants. Guy said to me one time, I just took the gift test. I says, What was your gift? He says, I got the gift of humility. I said, No, 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 you had the gift of humility. You do not don't you realize that once you know you have humility, you don't have humility anymore? Spiritual gifts, folks, is one of the biggest gimmicks and one of the biggest moneymakers in Christianity today. And you know what the tragedy is? Do you know why? I'm going to tell you why. Because most of God's people really are good people. I really believe that. I don't think there's anything wrong with most of God's people. I think it's the leaders that lead them and teach them that's got the problem. And I reason why, I mean, I've been in, I've known churches that have had seminar, gift seminars, find your spiritual gift. And they hire some organization to come in and they do this little goofy chart thing and everybody is as happy as pigs in a blanket, you know. And they're just all running around. Oh, I got my gift. What's your, and then they compare. What's your gift? Well, so will show you mine if I'll trade your gift, you know. And they, everybody knows where they're at. First of all, I have a real problem charging anybody Anything to give you the Bible? We have a Bible institute here. It doesn't cost you a dime to come to it. Our classes on Bible basics doesn't cost you a dime to come to it. We print the materials. We, we give you the handouts. You know, we don't, we don't, i know churches that charge people to come into the church admission, and they pack the place out to 30,000 people. You got to go out to Schuler's place or Joel Olstein. You really don't have to go very farther than around a block sometimes to find them, but they're everywhere because people, they, I don't know where they got the idea. Bible says, now this is, maybe this is just me. Bible says freely receive, <laughs> freely give. I've known churches that put on a staff-paid counselor, credited counselor. And then when people had, people had problems that they wanted to come in and talk to, they had a counselor right there on staff who was certified by the state of Missouri to had all the bells and whistles, and they would charge you a rate to come in and see him. How in the world? What happens if that person is lost and needs to get saved? you still charge them? Are we into charging people now so I can give you what God gave me free? Let me tell you something, folks. If you come into my office and I solve your problem, if I would charge you what it cost, you couldn't pay it if you had all the money in the world. It costs God's son for me to have the answers that you need. What am I, Jesse James and Billy the Kid? I'm going to hold you up and rob you so you can have the answers that God gave me free. Don't get me started on it, and I'm already down that road. I'm going back here. Drink a little water. For thy stomach's sake, tonight off in infirmities. spiritual gifts are the biggest money maker in the world. And this makes money off of it because God's people really want to do right. I believe everybody here really wants to have a relationship with God. I really don't think anybody's here. Now, maybe you're a visitor this morning and you hate me already. I hope not because I have enough persecution complex going already. I don't need another one. <laughs> But I don't really believe that most of God's people, I don't believe people in this room today uh, don't want to do what God's right. You may never do it, but I believe if you're really saved deep down inside, you want it. You may not have the guts to change your life of what you got to do. Maybe you don't. But I really believe that you're here today because you want to know, you want to hear, and, you know, that's where you're at. And for anybody to take advantage of that and to try to sell you, package something, and then p- make you pay for it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Look what it says here. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now, for those of you who've been around for a little while, you now know that in your Bible in the New Testament, there's seven things the New Testament Christians told not to be ignorant of. We've already seen a couple of them just in our last couple of weeks. Seven things in the New Testament that you're told that you as a New Testament Christian are not to be ignorant of. And I guarantee you, if most of God's people had to take the ignorance test today and write down those seven, if most pastors had to do it today, they wouldn't even know where they're at and what they're doing. You know what it comes down to? The very things that God told us that we're not to be ignorant about are the very things we as God's people are ignorant of. This is why you need to learn and check this one off your list in the next couple of weeks. Learn spiritual gifts. Learn spiritual gifts. He does not want you to be ignorant of it. And the reason why there's so much garbage going on and so much misinformation and so much bad teaching is because God's people are ignorant of what the Bible says. We're going to fix that. We're going to fix that. Now, from a Bible perspective, when it comes to you and the Holy Spirit of God working through you, you have two very important concepts that you need to grasp. And I think this is vital in understanding spiritual gifts. Now, the first one is what we're talking about, and that is the gifts of the Spirit. But you can't talk about the gifts of the Spirit without understanding the second aspect, which is the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot have, listen to me now, you cannot have the gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit. It's absolutely impossible. The two are separate, but they go together. Remember yesterday in Bible Basics how I told you that the 11 concepts I gave you in the first time we were together, the 11 concepts I gave you, I told you that you could almost (coughs) take those those 11 concepts and put put 11 lines upon a piece of paper, call that piece of paper your Bible. Every one of those lines is separate. Every one of those lines represents the things that I gave you on there in that board. Even though those 11 things are separate, they run all the way through your Bible and those 11 things go together. You cannot separate, you cannot separate the gifts of the Spirit from the fruit of the Spirit. It's a lot like God's will and God's plan. That's in our discipleship lessons. And here again, how many of God's people are messed up on that? How many times I've heard somebody get up and give a testimony or somebody say, you know, well, you know, I felt like it was God's will for me to be a pastor or God's will for me to be a missionary or God's will for me to uh, go to here or go to there. And I understand that there's always a little latitude in what people say. I make a lot of mistakes myself in things that I say. But there's things that are doctrinal statements that need to always be as close as we can to be clear. And I think one of them that God's people are messed up today, just like spiritual gifts, is the idea of God's will and God's plan, and they all go together. God's will, ladies and gentlemen, is never something that you do. God's will is something that you are. God's will for you, if you're saved this morning, is to be more like Jesus Christ every day of your life and fulfill what God has called you to do. God's plan is doing what God's called you to do. But you see my point? You can't do what God's called you to do till you first become what God's called you to become. Because the power of the Spirit of God moving through you is based on your personal one-on-one relationship with Christ. And when you build that relationship inwardly, then you will do exactly what God wants you to do. I have young Christians all the time, and this is a very common thing. And I always like this when Christians ask this question. They're always concerned about, what if I don't do what God wants me to do? What if I miss what God wants me to do? Now, I know how, I I like that that's important to somebody, but that's really never going to be the issue. You just don't know that yet. You know the greatest guarantee that you'll never not do what God wants you to do with your life is? The greatest guarantee that you will never miss what God wants you to do is to forget about what God wants you to do and focus on what God wants you to be. I have never met anybody in my life that fulfilled God's will in their life or what God wanted to be that ever missed up the plan what God wanted them to do. I do know a lot of people that put the emphasis on the plan that never got the will, that never got anything done. This is what I'm talking about, you see. The gifts of the Spirit represent the the power of God in your life to do what He wants you to do. That would be God's plan. Ah, but the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, that represents the character of God in your life of what God wants you to be. In short, you cannot have the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, without the fruit of the Spirit, the character of God. And this is where it begins to break down. I look back in the Old Testament. And I don't really, for the life of me, know why people can't see these things in the Bible. But then I answer my own question. The reason why they don't see things in the Bible is because nobody believes the Bible has anything to say anymore. We're too busy reading somebody else's book. We're too busy going back to the Greek and the Hebrew. We're too busy doing all these goofy things and just negates the Bible. And then we miss some of the greatest examples. Do you think it was just, they were just stretching the point back in the Old Testament when it says back there, when it talks about, David's mighty men of valor, when it says that one guy, one man, one man went in and single-handedly killed 900 men. Now, that sounds pretty weird to me. I mean, uh, one-on-one may be good. Chuck Norris, I've seen him take two and two, three and three. Steven Seagal, he takes on 20 or 30 at a time and whips them all. 900? And I don't really believe they all lined up and came one at a time. So we're left with a thing. Did really one man kill 900 guys? Now, I'll tell you what the Bible scholars are telling you and probably what your pastor will tell you. He'll probably if he's a halfway liberal, he'll say, well, that scribe was, when he was recopying that book, made a mistake. It was late at night and he was tired, so he just put an extra zero on it. it should be 90. And then if he's a really liberal, he'll say, well, he was really weary and he really tired and he just put nine, should be nine and not 90 or not 900. Nine sounds more plausible, doesn't it? Oh, I can buy that. Yeah, Sure. Mistake in the Bible, I got that. No, no, it was 900. You know how I know it was 900? Because God said, if you stay with me, walk with me, stay in my book, nobody will ever stand before you. And back then, at that particular time, that's what Israel was doing. So it's very easy to do how one man could take 900 on and kill them. It's the same way that God can take you out of your job, put the Holy Spirit of God in you, get you fired up or ready to go to do God's work, and you can win a whole town to Christ. One person. You can change your family. One person. You can change people at work. You have an impact where you're at. You know why? Because it's not you doing it any more than it was that man doing it back there when he killed 900. It was God doing it through him. I love, I love, the, I love the History Channel. I do. I really do. I learn a lot from the History Channel. And a lot of times it's entertaining. I was watching one the other day about how that the great mysteries of the Bible are solved. Oh yeah, the History Channel is going to really help me with that one. <laughs> and it was the walls of Jericho. And they actually said that when they walked around the walls of Jericho, uh, there to make them fall down, that it was it was the manner by which they were walking. And they actually, and this what I'm about to say is true, they actually said that when when that when uh, soldiers walk across the bridge, a, 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 not a, a suspension bridge, and this is true, that you always go in route step. Route step doesn't mean in step. Route step is, you know, you're, you're walking out of step because the pounding of the same steps over time could cause that bridge to collapse. So if you go to route step, it more disperses the, the foot pounds over the bridge that makes it more stable. And so they were saying that the nation of Israel, you know, uh, walked across, the, ran, come across there seven times, and it was the routes, the, the, the in step, that weakened those walls. And after seven days of doing that, the wall just came down. Now you see that's man's approach to always to the Bible. And I, and I got news for you: when you go back and study that story, you'll find that, that story is a picture of the second coming of Christ. History Channel missed that. You'll find that they walked around that city seven times because of the fact that there's seven years in the tribulation period. They missed the fact that Jericho is called the accursed city, just like Babylon, the great mystery religion. You'll realize that they had all of the things that they did, pictures after the second coming of Christ, and that city fell, and they took it. Picture the second coming. That was another one on the History Channel about the splitting of the Red Sea. This one's a classic. And now they're actually saying that, uh, you know, that, that uh, first of all, they always say, well, it really didn't happen. It was just the fables in the Bible. The latest scientific thing is that there was a peculiar wind that blew and came at, kind of like the perfect storm movie. It just kind of hit at the right angle, and it actually made the waters go back, and they could actually walk across the southern end. Well, they didn't go across the southern end of it. And then you have the scribal error type thing, you see. that it wasn't the Red Sea. It was the Sea of Reeds. And one scholar said, uh, you know, well, it really wasn't the Red Sea. You know, that's a scribal error. That's a mistake in your King James Bible. You know, you have some issues with your King James Bible. It's really the Sea of Reeds. And the Sea of Reeds was a marshy swamp, and the water was only, you know, four inches at the most there. So there's really no miracle involved. Yes. Well, that sounds like a miracle to me. Well, how would that be? Because the Bible says that all of Pharaoh's army then drowned it in four inches of water. You say... (laughs) idiots God did those miracles in the Old Testament Joshua chapter 10 yes he did stop the sun for 23 hours and in, in, uh, in uh, 20 minutes and then you find I told him yesterday in Bible Institute if you know anything you know that there's a day missing in our time and that day missing our time is found in in the in Kings and is found back there in Joshua and uh, you'll find that uh, that God did stop the stop, stop the sun. He prolonged that day. And those are things that people look at, and because they look at the Bible from a natural standpoint and they're not saved, they have no clue. I look at it from a saved standpoint, and you know what I think? I think just like God split the Red Sea, just like God stopped the earth, just like God had one guy kill 900 we could go on and on and on God will give you the power to do whatever you got to do subdue kingdom knock everybody off the plate whatever you got to do when you get tied into that book you get dialed in and God says I got a job for you to do and you commit yourself to do it get out of the way you're like a 1 watt radio station turning the key and saying hello world and they can't even hear you down the street but you know you can get the job done because of the power of God you see Now, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And it represents the character of God. That's who we are. And I say it again. You won't have the gift of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit. There'll be no work for God without the character of God in your life. And this is why churches today... And, and, and most Christians lack character. Most pastors do, too. Most churches and most pastors remind me of, what was that movie that Chubby Chase was in? Uh, oh, uh, Family Vacation. And most churches and most pastors remind me of that guy, Eddie. <laughs> because Eddie was mooching off of everybody he could. Eddie never worked a day in his life Most pastors don't ever get into the Bible with their people. And all Eddie wanted was, what can you do for me today? What do you have for me today? Eddie's always out of money. He needs more money. He does this, he does that. And that reminds me, Eddie has no character. And many churches today have no character. And they don't have any character because they don't have the gifts of the Spirit because they don't have the fruit of the Spirit. And the two go together. Now, I, I don't know what you know about your Bible. Most of you probably around here will not probably know what I'm about to say, and that's a good thing. But you're going to find when you count those down there, there's nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. And each one of those represent a different characteristic of God's character that you need to have before God's going to give you the power. You get these nine fruit of the Spirit as you grow every day in your life, as you learn more about God, love, That'll be the unconditional love that God gives you. You don't love people God's way with just wanting something back. Joy. We already talked about joy, didn't we? Peace. That comes from the peace that passes all understanding, the Holy Spirit of God. Long-suffering. That's your ability to be patient with things. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. And then temperance. Temperance is a balance in your life in all things. Now, yeah, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's nine fruit of the Holy Spirit of God there. Nine in your Bible is the number of fruitfulness. And what I'm about to tell you is rejected by just about everybody that you're going to go to, but that's okay. We stick with the Bible. We stick with the Bible. And, of course, there's nine fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when you go back in your Bible in Genesis... You'll find in Genesis chapter 9, when Noah comes off the ark like we studied yesterday, he's told to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. When Abraham got the promised seed that was in the line of Christ, that was Isaac, guess what? He was 99 years old. Do you think that's a coincidence? you think that just happened? you think the Bible was a book written like any other book that man wrote? That's the way most people approach the Bible. Well, I got news for you. The Bible wasn't written by man. It was written by God. And when God told you in Genesis chapter 9 that uh, he must be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and Abraham was 99 when he bore that fruit that he waited so long for, and you got nine fruits of the Holy Spirit of God, which is found in the book of Galatians, what happens to be the ninth book in the New Testament. And when you spell Galatians, there's nine letters in it, and the verses you find it in are verses 2, 2, 3, and 2, 3, adds up to nine. You think that's a coincidence? People say, why do you use a King James Bible? I use a King James Bible because it's got character. I use a King James Bible because that's the only Bible down through history that God's ever bore fruit with. I, I, I don't, you know, take it up with him. I mean, I, I don't, you may not like that, but you have to go back and rewrite about 1900 years of history to get away from that fact. And the fact that you don't know history is not my fault. I use a King James Bible because it has character. It's the most fruitful book the world has ever seen. And it produced the most fruitful period in church history the world has ever seen, where over three quarters of the world had come to a saving knowledge. And that book went around the world four or five times. Now, I got a Holy Bible, nine letters. I got a King James, nine letters. I got a 1611. What's six and three? It's nine That's why I use that book. It's God's fruitful book. It's got character. And the fruit of the Spirit comes out of this book. That's just the way that it is. My Bible says Old Testament. You know what? There's 39 books in the Old Testament. 39 of them. And when you look at those 39 books, somebody said one time, well, you do know, Bob, that the, uh, that the, uh, the uh, New Testament is contained in the Old Testament, don't you? And I said, it really is? And so they walked me all the way through that and showed me how the Old Testament, hidden in there, is revealed by, the, it reveals the New Testament. So there's 39 books in the New Testament. And if the Old Testament contains the New Testament, so if I take 9 times 3 and multiply it, I get what? book's in the New Testament. Now, do you think that's a coincidence? Maybe you're a coincidence. (laughs) You see, there's a mind behind that book. There's a mind behind that book that common man doesn't see. Now, I've told you many, many times, this is the difference between me and most Christians. And I don't make any apology for it, but I want you to know why I'm the way I am. When I got saved, I never got over it. Some of God's people got over it. Some of God's people started out loving with this book, and an education took this book from them. Some people started out believing this book was the Word of God, then they wind up not believing it's the Word of God. I never had that problem. And if I ever have that problem, I just soon God come down and kill me. I believe that book is exactly what God wants you and me to have, and I believe every answer we're going to deal with in life is found in that book, and it's just simple sixth grade English that any idiot could get. And it doesn't get any harder than that. So when you study spiritual gifts, you've got to realize that there'll be no power of God in your life till you have the character of God in your life, and the character of God in your life comes from that book right there. So we study spiritual gifts, we have an order we're going to follow. Now, I want to show you something here. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, I already told you that chapter 12, 13, and 14 all go together as one, basically, book, even though they're three different chapters. So when we study this, we've got to look at it as a complete set. Now, I want to show you one of the most amazing things, and you want to mark this in your Bible right now. Now, look at uh, 12.1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, stop right there. Now, look at the last thing he says in chapter 14, verse 40. This is the first thing he says that opens up our series. This is the last thing he says that closes this series. He simply says this. When you take everything out in between and look at the first thing he says and the last thing he says, here's what he says. He told you you're not to be eager of spiritual gifts. The defending passages is these three. Look what he says. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, 12.1... 1440, last thing, let all things be done decently and in order. Then when you kind of study spiritual gifts, there's an order to it. You have to get the right order. There's an order to everything that God does. You know what we're doing in Bible Basics? How many of you told me, Bob, I, you know, this is incredible stuff. I, I, my Bible's really opening up. You know the amazing thing? I've heard you talk about these things before, but there's something different now. It's all making sense. And I always say the same thing to everybody that says that. You know what the difference is now? We're taking all those things we've been talking about, and now we're putting them in God's order. See that chart over there? That's God's order of the Bible. You know what you're learning in Bible Basics? God's order by which the Bible lays itself out. You get the order of anything God does, you got it. You got it. You got it. There's a biblical order to all this thing called spiritual gifts. And if we're going to see it from the Bible's standpoint and get God's perspective on it, then we've got to get the order. One of the greatest verses and one of the greatest concepts that we want to remember throughout our whole study the next couple of weeks is found actually in, in chapter 14, verse 35. And it's a great... Concept and one you want to start and keep straight and get in your mind, and that is that God is not the author of confusion. We had Dean here a couple of weeks ago, and Dean teaches Greek classes in Dr. Ruckman's school down in Pensacola, Florida. Deke's, he's a friend of this church, has been known him for many, many years, and uh, he always likes to come up and hang out with you guys, and he always talked about what a, what a great crowd we are and help me hang out with it. And he's one of the smartest guys you ever meet, knows his Bible very well. And uh, we were driving, we went down to Liberty Memorial, a bunch of us, and he, we were driving to and from back there, and we were talking about it. And, and uh, he, you know, he says, you know, he says, people think that, that when, because Dr. Ruckman, or you know, I teach Greek classes, that we teach that the Greek is profitable for learning your Bible. And he says, you know, I have to tell people all the time, nothing's farther from the truth. He said, we don't believe the Greek helps you will learn anything in the Bible. He said, we teach the Greek and the Greek manuscript and the Greek text so the preachers, when they go out of that school, they can be in combat with anybody who wants to argue manuscript evidence and have the information to be able to do it and keep them honest when they do it. He said, you know what the bottom line is? Here was his verse. He says, God is not the author of confusion. He says, when I go to a Greek text and I look at the Greek text for a word in the English, there may be three different way that word is used. He says, so I'm left with a choice. He says, you know what that is? That's confusion. He says, so we don't go to the Greek and say, okay, which one of these ones? Well, it's the one I wanted to be. We stick with the English and just leave it where it's at because God meant what he said and said what he meant when he wrote it in that book. The Greek is just to help our boys go out and combat the other idiots out there that try to correct the Bible with it. And that was an incredible concept. God is not the author of confusion. You want to remember that in where we're going here in the next few moments. God has an order of everything. And I told you when we started Bible basics, you remember this. You don't study the Bible from your own perspective, you study the Bible from Christian perspective. You get God's perspective and that's the right order. That's what we're doing in Bible basics. Now, open the books in your Bible. I want to show you the order. You've heard me say many, many times that there's 66 books in your Bible. You know why there's 66 books in your Bible? Because your Bible is divided down uh, by an Old Testament and a New Testament. When you come through your Bible, you'll find that six is the number of man. We learned in Bible Basics that uh, the Bible was written to to reveal God's plan to man. So you have a man in the Old Testament. You have a man in the New Testament. The man in the Old Testament is the nation of Israel. The man in the New Testament is the new creature in Christ Jesus. So six being the number of man, you have a six for the Old Testament man and a six for the New Testament man, so you have 66 books. That's an order. That's there for a reason. Somebody says, well, my book's got 14 other books. You're out of order. You're out of order. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. You're going to find that the order of the books in your Bible, the way they're set up, we begin to see that yesterday. The order of the books in your Bible, the way they're set up, they're set up to show you the theme of the Bible. You know what the theme of the Bible is? The millennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ, second coming. So when you start to come through the books of the Bible, you have in Chronicle Chronicles chapter 36, where we left off the other day, you have them going into captivity. Then they go back in Ezra. They go back in Ezra just like they went back in 1918. Then in the next book, Nehemiah, they rebuild, just like they did in 1948. Then you go to the next book, which is Esther. You know what happens in Esther? There's a wedding in the king's garden for seven days and seven nights. Picture the rapture of the church. You know what the next book is? The next book is Job. Job's in the ground, persecuted by the devil, seven days. He's in the land of Uz. That's where the nation of Israel is. 42 chapters in the book of Job, 42 months in the great tribulation period. You know what the next book is? It's Psalms. You know what Psalms is? Psalms is David on the throne, picture of the millennium of Christ. You know what the next book is? It's Proverbs. That's the wisdom of God displayed on this earth. That's eternity by the order of the books in your Bible because God has an order to everything he does. Now, do you think that's a coincidence? Well, let me give you another quinky dinky. We haven't got to this yet in Bible Basics. Some of you know this because we covered it last time. When you go through the Old Testament, you have a definitive book. That definitive book is Genesis. And in Genesis, everything is defined for you. Then you start four historical books that all cover the same time period, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When you come to the New Testament, you have the same format, said it's reversed. You have four books that deal with the same time period, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the definitive book is not at the front. The definitive book is at the end. That's the book of Acts. So you have a different order between those two with a definitive book on the front and one on the end and the other and the four historical books matching up perfectly to the same time period in between. Why is that? That would be a good question for your pastor this week. I'd ask him, see what he says. The key to the Bible is the right order. Einstein said something one time and I believe this is absolutely true. Ogun Einstein was an idiot. He's supposed to be the smartest man that ever lived. Did you ever see a picture of him? Does that look like the smartest man he ever it looked like? He stuck his fingers in 440 volts and it lit up his hair. He's famous for sitting around thinking about the theory of relativity. He's famous for sitting around thinking about, well, if a freight train was going this past at 60 miles an hour and one was passing and going 80 miles an hour and a fly was in the one flying around, how fast would the fly be going as it flowed by you as you went by him? Well, who cares? His great claim to fame was an atom bomb. Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and who knows, God else, what's going to happen with him. But you know what Einstein said one time? Billy Graham witnessed to him. And Billy Graham witnessed to him about God. And Einstein said to Billy Graham, he said, You know what? He says, I cannot accept a God that's not a mathematical formula. And when he said that statement, I'm telling you right now, Einstein was about that close for finding God because God is a mathematical formula. I don't understand a lot about numbers and I never took algebra, never took trigonometry. I had to bribe the general math teacher just to get out. <laughs> math has never been my good subject. The greatest blessing God ever put in my life other than the day I got saved was calculators. <laughs> <laughs> but Einstein was right. Do you ever notice this? Do you ever notice that if you want to find anything on this planet, you've got to go through a number system? We're in Kansas City. We all know Kansas City. Most of you don't know. You find Kansas City, that's a, that's a, that's a uh, number system. Longitude 39 point something. Latitude 102 point something. You've got to go through a number system. You say, I'm going to talk to Bob later. How are you going to get a hold of Bob? I'm going to call him on the phone, 816-590-6315 got to go through a number system. Well, I'll go over to see him. 84,13? 80, 83 8308. <laughs> that was my old house 40 years ago. 8308 Woodson Drive, through a number system. Okay. I mean, somebody wants to find out who you are, they go through your Social Security number. You go to the Department of Motor Vehicles, they want to see your ID number on your car. Cop pulls you over. Let me, see your, let, me see your, let me see your driver's license. Let me see your registration. It's all through a number system. So when you go to your Bible, God set it up. where well, You've got to go through the fourth book, 23rd chapter, 13th verse. It's a number system. I don't understand how it all works down, but anybody that knows much about anything knows that math is the universal language. When they send them rocket ships out there, they don't, they don't put up there, hey, how are you? Find us. It a mathematical code because that's a universal language that all civilizations, if there ever were any, would understand. Now, that's what we're doing with the Bible and Bible basics. Look at your Bible like a combination lock. When you want to open that lock, you go through a series of numbers, don't you? But not just a series of numbers will work for you. you got to put those series of numbers in the right order and when it comes to the Bible the 9's the 6's the 13's the 12's the 40's the numbers and how you go through your Bible it's a number system but it's getting that numbers in the right order that's what we're doing because God has an order to everything so when we study spiritual gifts we find an order to these spiritual gifts let's talk about that you're going to find that spiritual gifts (coughs) divide up into three groups And if you don't learn this, don't know this, you're going to get messed up in it. Now, the first thing I want to talk to you about spiritual gifts is I want to tell you that not all the spiritual gifts are directly to you. It's much like the Bible. You hear me say it all the time. All the Bible is for you, but not all the Bible is to you. There's three people groups addressed in the Bible. We've covered that before. Now, the first set of gifts we want to talk about are gifts that are given to the New Testament church. And you'll find this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. And it shows you here the gifts that are given to the church. I'll read it to you. It says, Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, here it comes, and he gave gifts unto men. Now, here's your gifts. Now, he that ascended, what is it? But he also descended, first in the lower part of the earth. He that descended is the same that also ascended up for above all heaven, that he might fulfill all things. Now, who's got that passage open, close up front here? Anybody? Who just, who just, uh, uh, Zach, what do, you, what do you see about verse nine and ten? That's, that's that if we're reading that, very instructive. Uh, the then don't, it ain't about the, anybody in the Bible. It's about the sentence structure. Yeah. So it's parentheses about the beginning and the end. A parentheses around verse nine, and, parentheses, and a parentheses around the end of verse ten. See? A Little. Now, what does that tell you when you study English? Very no, it means we're going to take it out. <laughs> if I say it, it's something very important. If you look at that there, it means something else. Now, when you put something in a parenthesis clause, it means it's something that's added to it, but it's not part of what he just said. So we're going to remove that. It's very important. He's right but we're going to remove it to show you how, what he's talking about here. So let's just read 8. 9 and 10 are in parentheses, so we'll take them out. We'll jump from 8 to 11. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gifts to men. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. See what he did? It tells you what the gifts are. 9 and 10 is a little interlude that tells you how it got there because Christ had to go down to the center of the earth and came back up. But they're not the gifts. The gifts... Or down. That's why he puts it in parentheses. The gifts are in eleven and twelve, or really eleven. So the first gifts we see are gifts that are given to the church. Let's see what they are. Verse eleven and twelve is the order. The first one is apostles. When you go over to Ephesians chapter two, verse twenty, you'll find that the Bible says that the apostles are the foundation of the church. That's your first gift. Then the second one is prophets. You'll find those in Acts chapter eleven, verse twenty-seven. The prophets or what's God used in the early part of the book of Acts. Then it says evangelists, that'll be Philip and Paul. Then it says pastors and teachers, that'll be Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Now these men here, as you go through the church and you go through history, are the gifts God gave to the church. Now why did God give those gifts to the church? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, the seed things that we talk about doing all the time that when God established the church, the first set of gifts He gave were the leadership of that church coming from the book of Acts right up to where we're at now. And my job as a pastor, as a gift to this church, your job as a teacher, as a gift to this church, is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See how that works? Now that's your first set of gifts. First set of gifts that you're going to find are laid out to to the church, all right, let's look at the second set of gifts. And this was given to the early apostles. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 12:12, 12, but 12. if you don't have this verse marked in your Bible, you want to mark it. Second Corinthians chapter 12 verse 12 says, "Truly, the sign of an apostle, oh, excuse me, truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience in signs and wonders and mighty deeds." Now these are gifts that are not given to, that are given to the nation of Israel and applied uh, by the apostles. The church doesn't have these gifts. These gifts are given to the apostles and they're called the signs of an apostle. Now what are the sign gifts? We have got to get a definitive passage on it. Let's come to Mark chapter 16, verse 17. I'll give you the definitive passage. Here it is. Somebody says, "Well, what's the sign gifts?" Well, let's, we'll get the definitive passage. Shut up. Just do what I tell you to do. <laughs> All right, look at verse 17. Matthew 16, 17. And these signs, here it comes. Mark, what did I say? Oh, Mark. I'm sorry, Mark 6. That's say Matthew? No. He said Mark first and then he said Matthew. Just seeing if you're awake. <laughs> Mark 16 don't make a big deal about it. <laughs> You're making me look bad in front of the visitors. <clears throat> I got to think I really meant when I said when I said I was stupid. But you know that was a ploy on the most brilliant man that ever lived. <clears throat> Mark chapter 16 verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Ah, here come the sign gifts. In my name they shall cast out devils. There goes your ex-wife. <laughs> In my de- <laughs> cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. There's one. They shall take up serpents. There's one. If they drink any deadly thing, uh, there's one. It shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Healing. There's one. Now watch this. So then after the Lord has spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Now, you see, that's the sign gives. Now, here's the problem we make. And this is where your pastor lies to you. This is where your church deceives you. And if you don't like what I'm about to say, you probably won't. But you know what? I'm in the truth business. Get out your umbrella. It's going to rain truth here in just a second. Now, we just said that these signs shall follow them to believe. We got the sign gifts. So you have people out there running around doing the sign gifts today based on Mark chapter 16. And they can't read verse 20. Because when it says in verse 20, and they went forth, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following, they think that's all of Christianity. Let me ask you a question. Let's do a terrible thing. Let's put it into context. Who's the they? The 12 apostles. This isn't all of Christianity running out and doing it. If you read this passage and you get the context, there's 12 men doing this, the 12 apostles. You know why these 12 men are doing it? 2 Corinthians 12, 12, these are the signs of apostles, what they do. You say, well, my church does this. Your church is out of order. Don't take offense at that. I don't know what to tell you. These sign gifts were given to confirm the Messiah had come to the nation of Israel. I don't understand why tongues are such a big deal today with people. I really don't. The only thing I can come to the conclusion, and you know, I'm, don't take this offense to this, but the only conclusion I can come to is they don't know their Bible. How would you think tongues are for today, in any way, shape, or form, if you knew what the Bible said in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11? I, I don't know. I, I don't understand that. I don't I don't know how you get to that. Right, how do you make the leap from Isaiah 28 when it's a prophecy telling you that tongues were for the nation of Israel, you see that 1st, 2nd Corinthians chapter 12, 12 says that there are signs of an apostle, and those signs are told that the apostles are doing them. How do you make that fathom leap to where you're at today? Isaiah 28, says, For with stammering lips and other tongues will he speak to this people. And when you go down in verse 14, you find the people that he's saying this to are the people that's in Jerusalem. I don't know what to tell you. Somebody says, your church believe in healing. Yeah, I believe in Healing. I believe that God heals. I just don't believe you have the power to lay hands on to heal anybody. I'm sorry. Somebody said, well, I'm offended at that. Where's the first case of healing in the Bible? You don't even know. You know, I'm a fair guy and I'm a fun guy and I never get bent out of shape about anything. I believe the Bible says over there in Proverbs when it says he uh, talked about the fact that the great uh, peace to have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. I don't get offended by anything. Somebody says, you're the ugliest guy in the world. God bless you. Somebody says, I think you're the worst preacher in the world. I agree. Pray I get better or worse. Somebody says, I don't like the way you talk. Uh, stick around. You're going like it less before I get through. I'm sorry. <laughs> <coughs> I mean, you can't offend me. I don't come up to you. I'm not one of these people who come up and say, well, I heard you preach today, brother, and what you said, you offended me. You ain't going to offend me. You know why I can't be offended? Perfect peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. What are you going to say it's going to offend me when I got the blessing to this book on my head and in my heart and I'm walking around with all the things in my life? You're going to hurt my feelings? I mean, you don't even know where the first case of healing is in the Bible. You say, well, it's over there in Acts. No, 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 you're wrong. It's in Exodus chapter 4 in verse 6. And the Lord said further to Moses, Put now thine hand in thy bosom, and he put his hand in his bosom, when he took it out, behold he was his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again, and when he put his hand into his bosom again, he plucked it out of his bosom, and beheld it was turned again as his other flesh. And it came, shall come to pass if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. Healing was for a sign given to the nation of Israel. And then add to that insult to injury, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22 says, tells that that the Jew requires a sign. The the Greek seeks after wisdom. And then it tells you that tongues were for a sign. In 1 Corinthians 14, 22. I mean, there's no way you can get, you get out of the wrong order, you're going to get messed up. And I'm telling you, if, 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 if the average person that believes in these things, and I'm not fighting it, but if I threw a Bible in your lap and told you to open up the Bible and explain spiritual gifts, you couldn't do it if your life depended on it. I hear these guys, pastors, get up talking about this, talking about that, telling all their people all this junk. Let me tell you something, pal. If brains were dynamite, you don't have enough to blow your nose. Now, this is the order of spiritual gifts. And if you don't get this, you'll be a charismatic in no time. Now, here's the third one. Now, these will be the power that God gives you and me. The gifts of teaching, preaching, gift of discernment, gift of prophecy. Now, these gifts to us, you and me as individuals in the New Testament church, and you're going to see when you get into 1 Corinthians, he puts an order in the importance of the spiritual gifts. You know what's last in the importance? Tongues. Now these gifts come to us as we become more like Christ and get the character of God in our lives from which comes the power of God in our lives when we start to see and think and look at things like He does. And this is what He does and do whatever He do in every given situation. I always ask myself this question and people hate when I say it to them. I even, I had it took me a while to get past it my own self because I hated when I had asked myself this. But you know what you can do to solve 95% of the problems you've got in your life when you've got to make a decision? You know, there's one simple thing you can ask yourself that usually will fix 50% of them, 60% of them just like that. No thinking about it. You just simply ask yourself, what would Jesus do? A guy came to me a couple of weeks ago and he said, well, what do you think I ought to do? I said, what would Jesus do? He said, I hate when you say that. You know why he hated when I say that? Because he already knew what Jesus would do. When you get the Spirit of God in you and the fruit of God in you, when you're faced with situations, you won't do your own thing. You'll know what the Bible says and you'll simply do what Jesus would have done. You don't have a right to hate people. I don't care what they did to you. You don't have a right not to give people a chance. I don't care what they did to you. You have a right to do that. Is that what Jesus did? Guy said, well, I just have a really tough time forgiving you. I just tell you what, I just can't forgive you. I just really have a tough time. I don't know what to do about that. And he, what do you think of that? Is that okay? And I said, you know what? I'm just, yeah, it's okay. I'm just glad, I'm just glad God doesn't treat me like you do. You don't have a reason not to forgive anybody. That's what Jesus would do. You see, through a transformation. Now, this is called in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit. That's what happens. You get saved. You begin to grow. And then the Spirit of God begins to manifest himself through you. And the more you become like Jesus Christ through a transformation process. You see, the world can conform you. The world can inform you. The world can reform you. The world can misinform you. But only the Bible can transform you. Now, with that in mind, if, if the spiritual gifts you have are because of the Spirit of God opening up in your life, let me ask you a question. You're going to take the spiritual gift test? You're going to find out what your predominant go- your gift was and your secondary gifts? Well, just let me ask you one little question. What was Jesus' primary gift? Did not he have them all? I'm, I'm asking you a question. Did he not have them I want to see some movement of your head. Did he not have it all? Got to hear a little voice action. Did he not have it all? Can you all be people for a moment that are real spiritual and say amen? Did he not have it all? Then if you become more like him every day of your life, and that's your goal to come like him, why don't you get them all? Is that me? Was that just me? Do I know anyone who sees that? Please. I'm a blind man. Is there anybody out there? Thank you. And here's what I got. (laughs) come on man how many gifts did Jesus have what was his main gift how stupid that is you see understanding spiritual gifts to you and me is real simple as you grow in the word of God As you recognize what we talked about, your life has changed and you start to let God take over your life and begin to manifest the Spirit of God in you, through you, and God brings it out of you. At that point, God begins to fulfill His plan in you. And as you go through in life, whatever gift you need to do the job He's called you to do, He will give it to you, not based on your ability, but the character of God, giving you the power of God to do the work of God. Not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the result of an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit of God as it manifests itself through your members through the process of spiritual growth. Look at some of you. Some of you were saved a year ago, and now you're leading a prayer group. Some of you came into this church not even a year ago, and you're already telling me, I want to do something. We want to get involved. I've seen some of you come to the point where you you couldn't, the Bible you were you, you had no clue of the Bible. What? Even a year ago. Look at you now. Look what God has done with you now. Is that you were going to put a cap on that? Am I going to say to you, you can only go so far and then you can't do anything else? Am I going to say to you you can only learn the Bible so much and then you can't learn it anymore? Or you just keep learning the Bible and God says, boy, I wish I could do more with you. But you know, that is not your gift. (laughs) As you grow, God will give you everything that you need to do whatever God's called you to do. The idea, the money-making con man gimmick. That God has some kind of system that you can figure out what God's going to do. Well, if you figured out what your gift was, you'd walk around as proud as a peacock and would lose the power of God in 10 seconds. And that's what they do. After the big service, run to the restaurant, pull out your sheet. Here's here's Mrs. Snuffleface. My gift is giving. Here's Mrs. Snurderface. My gift is hospitality. That's why people love me. I'm hospitable. People love me because I'm giving. What's your spiritual gift? My spiritual gift is the gift of mercy. So I have mercy on both of you that you're wrong. (laughs) My gift is greater. You see where you go with that? You don't probably know the gifts you got And if you knew the gifts you got, you know what you'd do? You know what you would do? Do you know what you would do? You'd manipulate them like you do everything else. We are so far from what God wants us to be. And all he really wants us to be is in that book. Loving that book. Believing that book. Well, I've watched some of you grow to the place where you, when you came in here, you didn't know nothing. When you got saved, you didn't even know how to pray. Now she's in charge of a prayer group. You're done. Father, you can go. (laughs) That's your gift. You didn't know how to pray. God gave you the gift of prayer. Now you're going to be done right there. So if you need somebody to pray, call her. But she can't do anything else. It's ridiculous. You grow in the manifestation of the Spirit. That's why when some of you couples come in and your lives are messed up, your marriage is messed up, you're at war with each other, through the process of doing what's right, God takes you. That's why some of you come in and you have a tough time and you do some goofy stuff and you make some stupid mistakes, but you know what? You get your your head out of wherever it's at and you figure it out and you get plugged into the Bible, and in time, God actually uses you in a great and mighty way. And God's got that same thing for everybody out there today. One time, D.L. Moody was a great preacher, and he would go into churches in his country, and he preached at a church, and they always had a great time. He came about four or five years. Not everybody on the church power board, like the deacons, enjoyed Moody coming because Moody ruffled the feathers. So they had a meeting and was talking how great it was, and, and, the, and the pastor says, uh, we want to have Moody back next year. And he you know, only been back five or six years. Old deacon raised his hand and he says, well, why do we got to have him back again? Does, uh, I mean, does uh, Moody have a corner on the Holy Spirit of God? The old pastor said, no, I don't think that's the case at all, but I do think the Holy Spirit of God's got the corner on Moody. That's what it takes. It's not you getting more of the Holy Spirit of God. You got all you got, the name you say. You know what it is? It's the Holy Spirit of God getting more of you. Will you let him do that? Will you come to a church and get into a book that will allow you to do that? you get the tools you need. It's your choice. I'm not talking about this church. There's plenty of them around. There's one over in California. You start on Saturday, you probably get there for the Wednesday service. What would Jesus do? You see, this is what God does. Now, when we start coming through this in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see some other things happen here. And we're going to be able to put this in a better context. But right now, today, this is what you got you got the idea now that spiritual gifts have been put in the right order. We've defined them. Now when we get into these chapters, you're going to understand what we're talking about. We've laid a base. We're doing with this exactly what we're doing in Bible basics. When you pick your tapes up back there today, when they're ready to go, you get home and you start working on that foundation just like I laid the foundation out today, and then Next week, we're going to build on what we did today. The week after that, we're going to build on chapter 13. The next week after that, we're going to build on chapter 14. We laid a base today. Bible basics, we're laying a base. We got two installments done of three installments, and I'm going to give you a fourth one because you've really been good. And we're going to work through that, and what we're doing is laying a base. And then when you come to Thursday night Bible study, Sunday morning, wherever you're at, I saw the lights come on yesterday for many of you. And those lights will just keep getting brighter. That's the way God intended it. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you (coughs) and praise you for the Lord Jesus. These are good people. And help me be always honest with them and tell them the truth, whether they like it or not. Help me to lay out the Bible as it is. Don't let me ever tell them there's any other book or any other system or any other way that is better than God's way. God, if you're not God enough to inspire it and God enough to preserve it, then you don't even need to be God. I mean, I believe that you were so God enough to inspire that, but your hand preserved it down through history, and you got me exactly what you want me to have, and man doesn't need to mess with it. And you help us believe it. Help this church to believe it. Help these men and women to believe it, because it will transform them, and it will bring them to the place in their life where they will find what God wants them to do. And this church can give them the tools to do it through the Holy Spirit of God. Love you, Father. We pray for all of the things that we've got going out the rest of this week. We pray, Father, for uh, the Thursday night and pray for all our prayer requests and bless the Bush family and watch over them and take care of them. And, Lord, let these people get their tapes today and go to work and get the books that they need and the stuff that they need and let them dig, let them get into this. Let them learn. Let them put it all together. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For the sake we ask it. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.